little bit of vacation with uh, my in-laws up in Pigeon Forge uh, this past week, and uh, my father-in-law loves to watch news channels. I mean, it was CNN or MSNBC or whatever, and um, that was basically it uh, if he had the remote. And, I mean, it didn't matter what it, what the news was. I mean, it could have been about stock market stuff that sounded like a foreign language to us, and, and we watched it. I don't know why, but we did. Uh, but a lot of what we saw, and uh, recently it just seems like a lot of what comes across in front of my eyes and in my ears uh, is along the lines of uh, election 2008 and the government and politics and uh, Obama and Hillary and, and all those folks. And um, sometimes I think maybe we just need to step back as believers and uh, just talk about, well, uh, the foundation of it all and just ask ourselves the question, where does this whole thing of government come from anyway? All right. So that's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to talk to you, number one, about the origin of government. And then I want to talk to you about the purpose behind government. And then finally, I want to talk to you about our response to government. The origin, where does government come from? The purpose, what is the purpose of government uh, at all? Why does it exist? And then finally, because it does exist, and it does, how are we to respond to it as believers? So, number one, uh, in regards to the origin of government, I hope that you know, and I'm sure that you do, that uh, government is not man's idea. Government was not something that men created. And uh, I'm echoing something that I always say when I do weddings. There are three divinely given institutions Three institutions that were created and ordained by God. You know what they are? If I gave you a three-by-five index card, could you write them out? Three institutions ordained by God. Number one, the home through marriage, ordained by God. Not our idea, God's idea. Number two, the church. Obviously, God's idea. But number three is, you got it, government. Government is not man's idea. We would love to run around on our own and do our own thing and just be government to ourselves, right? But God knows that doesn't work. He tried it, and uh, it didn't work too well. Uh, we ate what we weren't supposed to eat, and it went downhill from there, right? And so government was put into place. Let me show you. Turn to Genesis chapter 8. Let me show you what historically, theologically, is the root of all government. Genesis chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of the Bibles sitting around you because I want you to see this so that uh, you don't think I'm making it up. Genesis 8, go ahead to verse 15. Genesis 8:15. Later on in the book of Romans, I'm going to show you that Paul says that this, this divine institution of the government from the police to a private in the military all the way to the president, the chief. Commander-in-chief, from policeman to president. These guys, he's going to call them in Romans 13, ministers. Did you know that? Anybody in here served in the military? I don't, I don't know. I think anybody did. Preston was a rainbow warrior, but that doesn't count. <laughs> huh? Okay. Yeah, just, just edit that out. Uh, Jack was. He's not in here. He's back with the kids. Jack was in the military. Jack was in here, and I were to ask him, Jack, did you know that when you went into the military you were going into the ministry, he would probably say, no, no way. You ever thought about it that way? That those who go into the military, those who go into government 
service, those who go into uh, police academy, those who go into the Senate, to the Congress, those who run for president. Paul would include them into the ministry. Let me show you where he gets that. Genesis chapter 8, the flood has subsided. And in verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, and you get a new, what we call theologically, a new dispensation. You get a new plan by God. He's not just going to let man run around and be a law unto himself, be uh, a government to himself anymore. He's going to change things now that he's wiped out everyone off the face of the earth except for Noah and his cohorts that he's brought along on the ark. Now, as they get off the ark, a new plan is set into place, and it is the plan of government. Jump down to verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast, I will require it, and from every man. From every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood... Whoever does something wrong, that's an example right there. You take another life. Look what he says. Key verse here. By man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he was made. Let me me tell you what you see right there. You see a transfer. You see a delegation of God's authority to judge men out of the heaven to the people. You see that? So now by man... We are to hold each other accountable. All right? Uh, He has delegated authority. Incidentally, uh, Genesis chapter 9, familiar story. We teach our kids this story that as they get off the ark, God gives them a promise. You remember what the promise was? The promise was, and it correlates here to this change in God's uh, program here, it's that he's not going to judge the earth on a broad scale like he has just done. You see, God wiped out everything with the flood, right? And his promise is that, listen, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to let things be. And instead of me judging you from on high, now it's time for you to govern yourselves. Let's try this and let's see if you can do it. And you guys know, you fast forward through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we can't do that either. That doesn't, doesn't work out. But God says, you remember what the promise is? Remember what the symbol of the promise is? It's that God says, I will place my bow. Literally in the Hebrew, it's a picture of God's bow, like a bow and arrow. I will place my bow into the sky so that whenever it rains and you look up, and the natural tendency would be to say, God's going to judge us again. It's going to start raining and never stop, right? He's going to wipe us all out again. To alleviate those fears, God says, I'm not going to judge like that on a broad scale from on high. I'm going to put governing into man's hands. And my promise will be marked by my bow in the sky. We call it a rainbow. So that every time when a rainbow comes out, you could point to a rainbow and say to your kids, that is a picture of God's mercy and patience, that he is withholding his judgment, that the rains will stop. Amen? Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture that God's mercy is holding back his wrath and holding back his judgment. He says, I'm going to give this a chance. I'll put government now in your hands. All right? Genesis 8 and 9, that's the, the historical and theological foundation of government. It enters into the hands of man. It is delegated authority by God. Jesus said in uh, the New Testament, you remember the uh, familiar story, when Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate, And he is silent before Pilate. Pilate says, do you not know that I have the power to either let you go 
or to take your life by crucifixion? Do you not know this? Remember what Jesus does? After being silent, he finally raises his head and answers back to Pilate. Powerful, powerful scene. And he says, listen, uh, the truth is that you have no authority. Don't miss this. You have no authority except that which has been given to you by who? My Father. What is the origin? What is the divine origin of government? It's God. God is in absolute and ultimate control of who is in authority. Even Pilate, a pagan ruler. Alright? God is in ultimate and absolute control of all authority. It's straightforward, guys. Whether we like the authority or not, whether we like who's in power or not, Scripture claims that they have been ordained by God. And you're going to see what that means in the impact. We have this power of God inside of us, the power that raised Christ from the dead. It, uh, it should change us. And Paul alludes to this when he gets to Romans 13. He's going to say, you know, it should change us right down to how we react to the government, to the authority that we have found ourselves under. And don't forget, in Paul's day, in the day that he wrote the book uh, of Romans, the authority wasn't very kind. It wasn't that they had kind rulers. It wasn't that they had generous rulers. They were in a bad spot. But look what Paul says. Romans 13, verse 1. Every person. How many of us? Anybody get excluded from that? Pretty direct. Every person is to be in subjection or to place themselves under, literally, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority... And he quotes Jesus here, except from God. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist, all of them. He doesn't exclude any authority here. He doesn't say, well, not on the local level, not on the federal level, not overseas. He doesn't exclude anybody here. He says, these authorities exist and are established by God. Who is behind the president. Ultimately, God is. Who is behind uh, any ruler that you want to pick out, good, bad, or ugly? Ultimately, God is. And he takes that credit and he takes that responsibility. Now, that is a, that is a big, big thought right there. You guys let that sink in. That good, bad, and ugly, Jesus says and Paul says... And we can go back to Genesis and find that all authority is established and exists by God alone. Now that's big, guys. Keep going here. Verse 2, therefore, every, therefore, whoever resists authority, that includes all of us, has opposed who? And what? Has opposed the ordinance of God. Paul's point? Listen. God is behind all authority. We are all, every one of us, to be submissive to it. That word submissive, that's a drastic word. It doesn't just mean that we're supposed to deal with it. We are to submit, to place ourselves willingly under that authority, good, bad, and ugly. And if we don't do it, verse 2, who are we rebelling against? That authority? Paul says more than that, you're rebelling against 
an ordinance of God. Because God is behind this thing. All right, so do you get it? What is the origin of government? Where does it come from? Upon whose shoulders is it established? God's. From Genesis to Jesus to Paul. It's all on God. They are ministers of God. Whether they know it or not. They are called into the ministry. Well, let me jump here. The purpose of government. That's the origin of government. Let me tell you about the purpose of government. And it's twofold here. Uh, If you want to narrow it down, it is to protect on the one hand and punish. Verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. So if you're a good guy, you don't have to worry about authority. But you should worry, is the inference here, if you're a bad guy, right? Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, or from that authority. For, he, for it is, and that's the rulers and the authority, from the private to the police to the president. For it is a minister of God to you for good. It is to be, government is to be, a blessing to the righteous. To those who do well, the government is to be a blessing. Number one. Number two, but if you do what is evil, be afraid. I love that verse. Pretty straightforward. If you do what is evil, be afraid. I think about old country, uh, old western uh, miniseries, Lonesome Dove. And you see those two old Texas Rangers at the top of the hill, and they're chasing one of their own guys who's gone to the other side. He's gone from being a good guy to a bad guy. And he's gone to the, to the dark side. And those two old Texas Rangers sit at the top of that hill. And uh, one of them looks at the other, and he says, You know, if you ride with an outlaw, you're going to die with an outlaw. And he says, The wrath of God is going to fall upon him. Twofold purpose of the government. To be a blessing to the righteous and to be a punishing force to the wicked. The government is to stand in the gap between the good guys and the bad guys and say, you're right and you be blessed. And to praise those who do well. And to the other side, they are to put the fear of God into them that they might come into submission to authority and to ultimate authority, the God above. Does that make sense? Twofold purpose of government. Be a blessing to the righteous and to be uh, a punishing force to the wicked. First uh, Peter 2.14. Turn to your right. I want you to see this as well. This is the other key passage for this, for this topic. First Peter 2.14. Right after the book of James. After Hebrews. 1 Peter 2.14, Peter says this. You've heard from Jesus. You've heard from Paul. Listen to what Peter says. I'll go back to 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution or authority, whether to, as a king, uh, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him. So from the top down to the bottom, from the president to the messenger boy. For the punishment of evildoers, that's purpose, And for the praise of those who do right. What is the government's primary job? To punish evildoers and to be the praise of those who do right. Now, uh, 
the government can do some extra stuff if they want, okay? If the government wants to pave the street outside of my neighborhood, that's great. It'll save me a service bill on my car. If the government wants to educate my children and help out with that, that's fine. But I can educate my these social justice type things. They can do a lot of those things. But that is not their primary and divinely ordained purpose. Biblically, the purpose of government is to stand between me as a good guy and the bad guy, whether on uh, native soil, in which case a policeman will stand between me and the guy who tries to steal my car or the guy that tries to steal my wife's purse, or whether it's from a foreign foe. In that case, the military steps in so that they don't attack uh, North Georgia and blow up Buford Dam or whatever the case may be. So from top about different people, and I want to read with, with, read with me on this. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, turn with me to James. Chapter verse 1, it taught them the government's primary divinely ordained purpose is to stand between good and evil. And they are to put the fear of God in those who would be wicked, in those who would not to submit, those who would not submit to the law of God. They want to pave my street. They want to help educate my kids. That's all fine and good. Incidentally, whose job biblically are those things. Whose job is it to educate my children? Mine. Whose job is it to take care of the widows, to take care of the poor, to take care of the needy? Home? And if the home can't do it, who's supposed to pick up the slack? The church. Yeah. If Preston kicks the bucket and Robin needs help and there's no one else in her family around to help her, who's supposed to step in? We are. Not welfare, not the government. All right, I'll stop on that one. Well, how, does this, how is this supposed to happen? That's the twofold purpose in a very uh, short, simplistic uh, definition. But how is this supposed to happen? It's supposed to happen under God's direction. I'll give you a trivia question. Who is the only person in the Old Testament who is commanded to read their Bible, to read the law of God every day of their life? Anybody know? Preston will buy you two steak tacos. The only person in the Old Testament who is commanded by God to read the Bible, to read God's Word every day of their life. I'll give you an extra hint. They were also commanded to not just read it every day, but they were commanded to make a copy of the Bible in their own pen. Not that they would write their own Bible, but they were to take uh, a manuscript and they were to copy, hand copy, the word of God, word for word. And they weren't to do it alone. They were to do it with a priest, with a Levitical priest standing over their shoulder so that they made sure that every word, every jot and every tittle, every mark was absolutely correct. Who was that person that was instructed to do that? It was the Jewish king. Authority in God's eyes is to be submissive to them. How is authority supposed to carry out its purpose? Under the auspices, under the umbrella, that they are not absolutely sovereign. Is authority absolutely sovereign on earth? No. Why? Because who is behind that badge? Ultimately, God is. Who do they answer to? God. Who is every 
person in a place of authority, in a place of government, supposed to fall down before God, the book, very literally, to do it by the book. Uh, Who do I vote for when it comes election time? Uh, I tend to vote for the guy who, number one, uh, shows some ability to understand the primary purpose of the government as a whole. That they are uh, focused more on my protection and the blessing of the righteous. That they stand between good and evil than they are about uh, social justice type things that the church and the family should be doing first and foremost. Amen? That's the guy I'm looking for. In addition to that, I'm looking for a guy who shows me some hint that he is standing with the Levitical priest over his shoulder. And he's not on his own. He's not copying, uh, he's not writing his own law. He's writing it exactly the way God has intended it to be. Does that make sense? I'm looking for the guy who has someone behind him. Old Barney Fife shows. You ever watch that? Andy and Mayberry? Barney Fife. Not intimidating at all. But on a few occasions when uh, those guys who Barney was uh, trying to lock up would bow up on him, you know, what was Barney going to do, right? He could barely get his gun out of his holster. On a couple of occasions, Barney would, would do something that uh, uh, I thought was very intriguing. Barney would say, look here. And he would tap right there on that badge. Ever seen Barney do that? They say, there's someone behind this badge in the law. For us, in government, there's someone behind this thing, and it better be God. It better be God. What's the purpose? But the fear of God and the wicked. Stand between good and evil. How, do, how are they supposed to do it? Under the authority of God. God has to be behind that ruler. What happens if God's not back there? Well, just survey history. What happens every time a guy gets into absolute authority and thinks that he is the sovereign? Thinks that he is the one who is in ultimate control? What happens to that nation? What happens to that civilization before too long? It takes a nosedive. What kind of things come out of those uh, governments? Great tragedy. Death. Murder, mayhem, all kinds of wicked stuff. When man elevates himself to the point where he says, I am ultimate sovereign authority, and there's no one behind that badge. I'm looking for a guy who says, there's someone behind me that I answer to. Well, this doesn't happen. Flip over to Psalm 82. Let me show you this. Psalm 82 is a great, great psalm. Psalm 82, God takes his stand in his own congregation, is the first line. And he's going to give a warning here through this psalm as to what will happen if the man who stands in authority doesn't stand knowing that God is looking over his shoulder. Doesn't stand with wisdom and discernment. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly? It's God's evaluation of government. And show partiality. Stand. They walk about in darkness. When God isn't behind the ruling party, He says they have no wisdom, they have no discernment, and it's as if they're walking around blind. Now look at what the consequence 
of government without God is. End of verse 5. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. When there is no one to rule, when there is no one to rule in a godly fashion, all the foundations of this earth are shaken. Is that true? Is that true with every divinely ordained institution? How about the home? What happens when corruption gets into the home? What happens when dad decides to skate out on mom? Is that a bad deal? That's a bad deal. It all goes bad. It all ends wickedly. What happens when corruption sneaks into the church? Does that get ugly? It gets ugly real fast. What happens when corruption gets into the government? When no one is saying, God, what do we do? When no one is looking to the word, how are we supposed to handle this? All the foundations of the earth are shaken. When you take a divinely ordained institution of God and you take God out of it, whether it be the home, whether it be the church, or whether it be the government, it is going to very literally rock our world. Amen? Is that what happens? By the way, is that, is that happening in our day? Is it happening in the home? You better believe it's happening. And it's becoming commonplace. And it's not shocking anybody anymore. You get tired of who you're with? Go on and be with someone else. Does it rock the foundation of our country? Does it rock the foundation of our world? It sure does. Are there consequences and ramifications? There sure are. Is it a big deal anymore? It's not. What about the church? Is it becoming commonplace that corruption is getting into the church? That we're taking, we are very literally taking God and His glory and His magnification and His purposes out of the church and we're doing church our way, doing church the way we want to do it, coming up with our best laid plans? What happens? Is that a bad deal? Sure is. Does it have consequences and ramifications? You better believe it. Does the word stop getting taught? It does. Do we raise up a generation who are illiterate to the word? We sure do. Do we raise up a generation who doesn't know about our primary purpose, as Preston spoke last week, to the glory of God? It sure is. It becomes all about who? It's all about me. And I go to church now to hear about how I can uh, find out how my life can be better, how I can improve my life, instead of being primarily focused on God. And when it happens in government, it goes bad for all of us. It goes bad for all of us. The end of every civilization is God being removed from divinely ordained institutions. He designed them. When you take them out, it just doesn't work right. It just doesn't work right. Paul reminds Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient be obedient. No qualifications, no exceptions. Why? God ordained it. God is ultimately behind it. We are to be, very simply, obedient. 1 Peter 2.13, turn back there. 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king or to the one in authority. 
Romans 13, 1, you remember what that said. Every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Why are we supposed to obey? Because God said to, number one. And God is behind it. When we are, why, why, are we, why are we obedient? Let me give you four reasons why we are to be obedient to government. Uh, and I want you to notice, I just read it, 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority. I left out a phrase there. Did you catch it? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Very important. Very important. Why are we supposed to submit? Can I give you four reasons? Number one, we are supposed to submit because when we obey authority, we obey God. When we obey authority, we obey God. He is behind it. He is behind that authority. No authority has been granted except God gives them permission to be an authority. So when we obey, we obey God. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty simple and pretty direct. Let me give you another reason. When we obey authority, we don't just obey God. We imitate Christ. We imitate Christ. Did Jesus obey authority? You better believe he did. First Peter 2, jump down to verse 21, just after this section on obeying authority. Look what he goes to next. Verse 21, he says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. How are you, be, how are you to be uh, submissive to authority? You're to be submissive just like Christ was submissive. He was your example for you to follow in his steps. Um, you ever notice as you're reading through the Gospels that Jesus never resisted authority? In fact, neither Jesus, Paul, or Peter ever resisted authority. Did you ever notice that? And they never resisted arrest. All of them had been arrested. You find any account in Scripture where they ran the other way. You find any account in Scripture where they said, you know what, this is wrong, get out of here. No. You find any account in Scripture where they uh, organized a sit-in or a lay-in. And they said, no, I'm going to wrap myself onto this tree and I'm not going with you. None of that, right? In every case, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all through the New Testament, you see Christians being submissive to it. When they came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, who resisted arrest? Big bad Peter did what? He whipped out his sword. Remember the story? He cut off the centurion's ear. And what happened next? Jesus says, whoa, Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Jesus went peacefully. And just to make sure everything was kosher, he put the guy's ear back on. Remember what he said to Peter? He says, Peter, put, put the sword away. If you're going to live by the sword, you will what? You'll die by the sword. And that's not just an allusion to, uh, it's not just a, a cute saying. Most scholars believe that that also infers that Jesus was, laying, uh, was giving approval to that authority who was coming to arrest him. And he was saying to Peter, listen, this authority... They have their authority from God. You pull the sword out on them, they have every right to put you down. Peter, you want to live by the sword. These guys, 
by God's ordination, can take you out. Put that thing away. Slap the ear back on the guy. Put the handcuffs on himself and walked away. Never resisted arrest. It's amazing, isn't it? You never see it. A centurion, uh, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, uh, a centurion, a Roman soldier at the death of Christ, looked up at the cross. And scripture says in the book of John, and seeing how he breathed his last, he said, surely this must be the Son of God. Did Jesus ever, was Jesus ever antagonistic? Was he ever rebellious to authority? No. The life of Christ only led Roman centurions who put him on the cross to their knees at that very same cross. As that Roman centurion watched Jesus die, he watched him die not like most other men died on the cross with their heads down. He watched Jesus raise up, lift his eyes to heaven, like a good soldier, by the way. Finished well, said, Father, it is finished. And then he bowed his head, submitted to ultimate authority. Isn't this a great picture for that centurion? He says, this guy didn't rebel against me. He came willingly. And now, just like any good soldier, he lifts up his eyes. He says to the authority that is above him, to his commander-in-chief, it is finished. And now he lays his head down and he lays down his life. And this guy, so impressed, said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely this man is who he says he is. That's the impact we're to have. Let me read what one theologian said in regards to Jesus. Jesus, when he was on earth, was murdered by the coming together of two authorities, the Jewish authority and the Roman authority. He lived under their unjust and unrighteous rule for his Life, yet he never attacked the government. He never attacked the rulers. He never attacked those in authority. He never led a protest. He never led civil disobedience. He never led a demonstration against the Roman abuses. He never led a demonstration against the sins of Jewish leaders. He never led a demonstration against the sins of Gentile leaders. He nudges righteously, and he knew God would do right because God was sovereign, and the whole world was under his control. When we obey government, we not only obey God, but we imitate Christ. It's what He did. It's what He did. Number three, when we obey authority, we also glorify the Father. We glorify the Father. What do we gain when we disobey authority? I don't have a lot of time to spend on this. Can I tell you what we lose when we disobey authority? We lose our testimony. More than that, we lose uh, the ability to point men and women to the glory of our God. God's glory takes a hit when we do the wrong thing. The last reason why we should obey authority. When we obey authority, we expand the kingdom. 1 Peter 2.13, he says, For such is the will of God that we obey authority. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. By obeying authority, we earn the right to expand the kingdom of God to those who would watch, to those who would see how we act. We earn that right to expand the kingdom to those people. Amen? Are we to be the examples? Yeah.
We're to be the examples for society. We're not to be rebellious. Life is supposed to change even when it comes to government. When we come to Christ. Amen. The power of his resurrection better affect how we react and how we act. And what our attitude is towards the divinely ordained rulers and authorities that God himself has placed above us. And when they do wrong and when they do evil, and they will, there will be bad men in authority. There will be bad men in government. When they do wrong, and they will, what do we do? Do we rebel? No, we don't. We trust God who is behind that authority that he'll do what he said he'll do. Amen? I'll show you more on that next week. I'll show you more on that next week. There have been many protests, many acts of civil disobedience, many violations of the law, many revolutions, many insurrections, and many subversive attempts to overthrow governments in the name of Christianity. And that's tragic. We are never commanded to do that. The command is simple. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. Next week, I want to tell you, uh, I want to answer a few more questions. Is there a place for disobedience to Authority, disobedience to government. I want to give you the answer to that, the biblical answer to that. And then how do we respond to what we feel is wrong in authority? How are we to act to when our, those who are in authority over us are doing the wrong things? What is our response to be? What is our attitude to be? And then I want to, uh, I want to even end up talking to you about uh, is it right for our military and our government to bear arms? Is it right for the hammer to come down? Is it right for them to bear the threat to our government and even to our military. Sure is. Sure is. Uh, I've been impressed lately to make sure that I instill into my two boys that when they see the policeman, when they see uh, the governor, when they see the president on TV, when they see on TV, on CNN or whatever channel, Fox News, they see those men who are on the front lines overseas, that they don't look at them with indifference. That they know that those are the men who are awake when I'm asleep. Those are the men who stand between good and evil. And more than that, they don't just do it for us good old Americans. They do it because they have been ordained as ministers of God. Can I tell you what I'm going to do? Uh, I've been looking for one. If you can find one, get it for me. I'll pay you back. I've been looking for uh, an ornament to hang on my Christmas tree. Just to establish, Kim and I like to establish different traditions around the holidays and things in that we can teach our kids. I've been looking for an ornament that has every uh, branch of the military on it so that we can hang that up on our Christmas tree. And I have an opportunity to say to my sons, boys, we're putting this on the tree because there are men and women who are on the front line and they're not in front of a Christmas tree right now because they're out there as ministers of God standing between you so you can sleep in peace at night and between you and evil men. We're losing that. And we're losing that even in the church. We're losing that respect and we've got to gain it back. We need a little bit of a throwback when it comes to how we look at our government, how we look at those who God has put above us. Amen? We'll finish this next week. Let's pray.